Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, we have a fund manager making the case for dividend investing, also known as the get rich slow strategy, thanks to the wonder of compounding when reinvesting dividends. So I spoke to Stephen Annis, who is head of global equities at Invesco from our studio last week. Stephen manages a number of global equity income funds, including the Invesco Select Trust Global Equity Income Share Portfolio. So over the past decades, there's been less appeal for equity income as an investment approach, with investors instead favouring growth strategies. So I asked Stephen, was this all down to the macroeconomic backdrop of low interest rates and low inflation? which was an environment that benefited growth investing? There's not one answer, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's probably a bit muddled between macro and micro, I'd say. Look, from a macro perspective, I think you'll bang on. Uh, I think the, um, the, the environment of low interest rates and low inflation, which was you know, pretty anomalous um, over the last number of decades, you know, which drove very, very low interest rates, that had a disproportionate impact on some of the uh, growthier uh, uh, companies in the market in terms of valuation. So as as interest rates fell and discount rates fell, you know, the market applied a higher valuation to those to those growthier companies. But I think it is fair to say, to be totally balanced, that a number of those companies have produced very good earnings growth, and at the beginning part of the decade, traded on valuations that were very low relative to the market. So you would not have said that they were. Um, you know, exciting growth companies. I mean, Microsoft is probably one of the best examples I can think of. I remember in 2012, you know, Microsoft was on a, a, a multiple which was lower than the market. And it's obviously gone on to achieve um, very significant earnings growth and a re-rating, which has been a spectacular outcome for, for shareholders. So I think, you know, but, but at the other end of the spectrum, you know, there were, there were companies which were very much left behind in, in that environment, which, you know, were lower growth, um, but paying nice, nice dividends. You know, but but those companies were sort of left behind in in that environment. So I think there's an there's a combination of the macro uh, driving uh, discount rates and valuations, and also a micro impact that that some of the companies didn't manage to achieve the levels of earnings growth that perhaps some of those growthier companies did. But I think a lot of that is now changing on a go forward basis. I think the other the other point just to add in, you know, is that we're sort of talking about this as a as a quite binary issue between growth companies and sort of income paying companies. And I think I'd really make the point that you know, we're looking for companies that can do both. You know, uh, we're looking for companies which can grow nicely whilst paying an attractive and growing uh, yield to shareholders. To, to us, it isn't an either or. You can find you can find both if you get your stock picking right. As you've mentioned, things are very different now. Um, you know, inflation, it's at high levels. And, you know, the jury's out about whether inflation is embedded or not, um, which we may come to later. And we've seen, you know, interest rates go up. So in the UK over the past 18 months, they went up from 0.25% to 5%. And during that past 18 months, we've seen equity income funds hold up a lot better than other areas of the market. Could you explain why, you know, with this macroeconomic backdrop of high inflation, interest rates on the rise, why is it that dividend investing as an investment strategy 
has held up well and is you know now back in fashion. Yeah, well, I, I think in many ways it's sort of it's it's sort of the inverse of perhaps what we were talking about a moment ago. That you know as as interest rates have gone up, um, you know that's put pressure on valuations in certain parts of the market. And I think look, if we were to look back, Kyle, we'd say you know valuations at the end of 2021, early 2022 were were very elevated in certain parts of the market. And frankly, there were certain areas of the market in the more speculative uh, equities, which were which were basically a bubble. And that bubble burst. And I think when you think about what types of companies reside in, in the income sphere, it tends to be more mature companies, uh, companies that have already cemented their positions in their marketplaces. And this isn't to say, you know, all of those companies lack growth going forward. But, you know, I think they're companies where there is, perhaps slightly less, uh, a less broad spectrum of outcomes. Um, and so you can find companies that are, you know, doing very well, uh, growing their, growing their uh, income and profit streams, paying that out to their, to their shareholders. And a lot of those companies tend to be in more defensive areas of the market. So healthcare, staples, some utility businesses, you know, we have, we have a number of companies that we own in I guess, slightly different areas of the market. So you know, 3i Group that many, I'm sure, uh, listeners will have heard of, a UK-based company, it actually resides in the financial sector because it's a private equity business. But the biggest asset within the 3i Group is actually a discount retailer called Action, which operates in Europe. Um, it's been a very successful business in terms of its rollout strategy it's a very defensive business so actually it's performed really well through through these very uncertain periods of time that we've had even the inflationary um, challenges and so you know that's the kind of company we're looking for where actually it's it potentially you know you might say look this is a quite a boring company you know just you know some might say actually we think it's a very exciting growth company but it, when we bought it, it was paying a dividend yield of nearly 4%. Now, that yield has grown at over double digits for the last few years. We expect that kind of growth in the dividend to be uh, maintained going forward. And so, you know, finding those businesses that have those defensive qualities are a little bit more predictable. You know, I think that's why the market has sought these kinds of businesses in an environment where we've seen uh, this, this, you know, significant rise in inflation a bit more uh, macroeconomic uncertainty coming in and, and interest rates as they are. So I think, you know, it's the combination of, of, of the impact of higher rates on, on, on valuations at an aggregate level. But importantly, you know, the kinds of companies that tend to make up the, the income cohort. And while dividends are back in fashion for the reasons that you've just mentioned, you know, over the long term, it's an extremely appealing strategy you know, because dividends, they play a very important part of the total return. Could you sum up the appeal of investing in dividend-paying stocks and why this approach is considered a get-rich-slow strategy? No, for sure. Look, I, I like the uh, I like the get-rich-slow uh, phrase you used, actually. I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, that yeah, there, I think there's a lot to this um, and, and the longer-term appeal. So if you look back over very long-run uh, stock market returns and you say, go back to ni- 1970, so 1970 to 2011, that sort of 40 odd year period, you know, dividends made up the vast majority of your real returns as an investor. You know, actually, multiple expansion was, I think, in that period of time, uh, very minimal. Um, you know, real earnings growth wasn't that significant, but dividend income was really important to shareholders. And the the anomalous period was the 20. 
12 to 2022 period that we were that we were sort of talking about earlier. So I think that income uh, has been a really reliable source of total shareholder return over time. And critically, when you think about companies and the kinds of companies you might want to invest in that can grow their businesses and have good competitive advantages. You know, those are businesses which often have pricing power and therefore they are able to grow their dividends even in periods of time where you know there's this inflationary backdrop. They can grow them in line or even above inflation. So you, you get that sort of inflation protection from, from that income as well. I think often income companies tend to have less drawdown in markets. So when there is a big sell-off in markets, as we were talking about earlier, you tend to have a lot of that sell-off comes from the companies that were most sort of hyped up in valuation terms. And that's certainly what we saw through 2022. And I think as well, look, as, a, as an income investor, and when you're investing in the kinds of companies that we are that have um, you know, very clear dividend policies, the dividend acts as a, as a kind of capital allocation constraint on management. And by that, I mean that if you are a management team going into a year and you think, right, we, we've got a, a hundred pounds of profit, but I know I need to pay 50 pounds of that profit out to my shareholders. You think very, very carefully about what you do with that other 50. And I think what it does is it helps management curtail perhaps some of the excesses that they might otherwise, uh, think about investing in in their in their businesses so yeah that then then you're very careful about how you allocate the capital grow the business um organically um then on so it sort of keeps companies honest and i think you know going back to your phrase of you know getting rich slowly um i think that's that's how it happens these tend to be businesses to be fair that you know don't tend to double overnight because they find a new drug or um there's some new whizzy technology that they've discovered that you know they're quite different to that, but they provide a very steady, very reliable, and as I say, inflation-protected way of investing for the long term. And for the first time in you know well over a decade, you know your equity income strategies they've got greater competition from other assets. So you know the um, yields on bonds are at the most attractive levels in you know over a decade. Um, you know people can get you know four and a half, five percent on you know cash-like investments. So with greater levels of competition, how would you convince, you know, a potential investor to pick equity income over bonds and cash-like investments? Equities do come with a bit more risk and volatility around them. So I think, you know, look, time horizon is important here. So I'm sort of, my answer to this question will be, you know, driven by look, focusing on the, the, the medium to long term. The key thing really is, is growth in income. And I suppose that that's what, what we were talking about a moment ago, that you know, companies can generate cash, they can reinvest that, that cash and grow their businesses while still paying out an attractive and growing dividend stream. And I mentioned 3i earlier. Look, I guess you know, thinking about a company such as, as Broadcom, which is the second biggest holding in the, in the fund, you know, that is a, a semiconductor business uh, listed in the U.S., yeah, that's a business that you know, we were able to buy with a sort of three and a half percent dividend yield last year. It has a great track record of growing dividend over time. We think obviously it will continue to do so over the next number of years. And that obviously is very different to what you get from cash or bonds. You don't get that growth in income. So yeah, when we think about this uh, income portfolio and the way we think about income investing, we are not trying to just buy the highest yielding stocks in the market. You know, those tend to be companies where you end up investing in value traps. Your realized yield tends to be less than your expected yield, i.e. a number of those companies cut their dividends because the market is sort of 
partly anticipating some of that, hence why they trade at such high dividend yields. And so we tend to avoid those value traps. So going back to the nub of, of, of the question, you know, look, we are looking for companies which can grow and grow those dividends over time. So actually, when investors who invested for many years look back, not only do they have a nice income, they have an income that has grown substantially and, and hopefully uh, bettered inflation over that time period as well. I wanted to move on to ask you about inflation. I think, you know, the, the minimum aim of investors over the long term is to beat inflation. So, you know, I think at the moment for any sort of investor with inflation at these high levels, it is harder to achieve over the short term. So what's your outlook for the prevailing macroeconomic backdrop um, in terms of inflation and interest rates? And how does that feed into how you invest? We are very much bottom-up driven investors. We don't let the macro influence our decision-making too much because it is notoriously difficult to predict. What we are looking for is relatively constant over time. And as I described, those are companies with pricing power, their ability to grow their cash flows and their dividend streams over time. And we want to buy those at attractive valuations where we think we can make good total returns for our, our, our unit holders. And that is important that the capital side uh, increases as well as just the income side. We think we are entering a period of time now that will be quite different to the last 10 years. So you, know, you mentioned earlier how how low interest rates and how low inflation had been for that, that decade. You know, our view going forward is that we are likely to be in a more volatile period. I think you know, we, we, we do believe that inflation is likely to roll off from here. Um, I think over the next six to nine months, we're likely to enter a period of tougher economic growth. I think what we will begin to see is the lagged effects of monetary policy coming through. You know, clearly, look, you can see the charts. When money supply has started contracting, um, that's a very rare occurrence. Now, it does come on the back of a, a very significant spike in the money supply over that sort of COVID period and through the initial phases of the very significant fiscal and monetary response. But I think you know, we, will, we will begin to see uh, a quite significant fall in inflation over the, over the next number of months. And, and I think you know, that will then reduce pressure on central banks to keep, to keep putting rates up. Um, so I think we are toward the, the peak in interest rates. As per your question on well, how does that make us think, you know, it does make us perhaps at the margin a little bit more interested in some of the areas of the market, such as such as real estate, not offices, you know, which are obviously very challenged at the moment, but areas such as um, such as industrial and logistics, uh, some of the towers companies, which have very robust revenue streams from from mobile phone companies. You know, these are these are the kinds of companies which have underperformed as rates have gone up because there is an interest rate sensitivity there. You know, we do think some of those are getting uh, getting a bit more interesting. So I think yeah, general view likely to be a, a tougher macro backdrop going forward, slower growth and and I think again that will actually be the kind of backdrop that should really support some of the types of companies that we've talked about today, you know, those high yielding, a bit more resilient kinds of companies that which trade at very attractive valuations. And in that tougher macroeconomic backdrop, I mean, does that play into your hands well? Because, you know, you you, you know, you manage a number of global equity income funds and a global equity income investment trust. Does investing globally, it gives you that greater sort of diversification. So could you run through the appeal of that versus, you know, just investing in the UK equity income market? Yeah, no, of course. I th- it's a really good point because I, there, there are a number of, of, uh, of advantages, I, I think, to, to investing globally. And I actually, I spent the first 10 years of my uh, investing career here on the UK desk. So I've uh, got some experience of this. And then the last 10 globally. Um, and the, the, 
I think, you know, to, to your point, yeah, there are often good things going on in parts of the world. We often have a tendency to sort of say, oh, we think the backdrop's going to be a bit tougher or a bit better going forward. And, you know, people often at that point tend to be talking about the US and Europe, whereas actually parts of the world are getting a lot better at various points in time. Look, that, that is a, a definitely a benefit. And, you know, for instance, you know, a good example would be Japan at the moment where, you know, valuations have been cheap for a long time. Obviously, the yen has weakened significantly, which is quite attractive as a, as a foreign investor. You know, the macro data is very good there. And there's a number of improvements in, in corporate governance, which are being mandated, which is, which is improving the way companies are run. But the other point I'd make specific to the UK is that, that the UK does tend to have a very high income stream. Dividends here are generally pretty attractive, but it is fairly narrowly skewed to you know those big oil companies, big mining companies, couple of big healthcare companies. I would say there's not that much growth uh, in in many of those. Obviously, the mining and, uh, and energy uh, companies I'm talking about those can often have payout driven dividend payments. So if profits come down because energy or commodity prices come down, actually your income stream will fall as well. So the headline yields are very attractive, but actually in a commodity price environment, which was perhaps a little bit softer, you know, those income payments would actually reduce, which isn't really ideal and not what we're looking for. So I think the combination of being able to find um, some, some companies which we genuinely believe will be significantly larger a number of years from here, uh, a more diverse uh, income stream as well, and an ability to tap into areas of the world which are getting better is 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 why really we we prefer investing uh, on a global basis you've mentioned a couple of areas where you're finding you know income opportunities at the moment you mentioned real estate earlier you just mentioned japan are there any other sectors or themes or countries that you particularly highlight at the moment? Well, look, I think it's a very broad one, but I'd say that Asia generally has got some fabulous companies uh, in it. Um, obviously, nominal growth tends to be very attractive in that part of the world. So you can tap into that nominal growth via some very good companies with very strong balance sheets, um, with often very aligned management teams. Interestingly, I would say we, we are finding an increasing number of consumer staples companies actually looking a bit more interesting uh, of late. So a number of those have underperformed over the last six to 12 months. You know, many of them have got very sort of steady uh, income streams, you know, nice yields, generally defensive. So that's, that's sort of been interesting for us because we've generally been underweight that sector for a number of years now. So it's interesting that that's sort of creeping up our sort of stock comparison uh, list, how we think about things. Um, so that's another sector that's, that's definitely looking a bit more interesting. My thanks to Stephen and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. I'd love to hear from listeners, so please do join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.